Let's talk about the best non-CFP bowl game slated for this bowl season. Let's talk about the best games of 2023. And let's talk about the rebuild that is going on at Colorado. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kid folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, I want to talk about what's going on at Colorado. What can you expect in their first year back in the Big 12? I want to talk about the best games of the 2023 season as I see them. But I first want to talk about the best non-college football playoff bowl game slated for this December and even into the new year. And I'm going to go like one through five on this. It's not really a list, but this is just kind of how I see it. Like, all right. So number one on the list for me, the one that I'm most excited to see outside of the semifinals is 13-0 Florida State versus 12-1 Georgia in the Orange Bowl. So much to play for here. Now, if you're Florida State, you already feel some kind of way about the college football playoff and you're already thinking yeah, we're going to find a way to try to claim a national championship because we were really denied that opportunity to do that in the college football playoff. If you're Georgia, you're going, we still think that we're one of the four best teams in the sport. Maybe Alabama is one of them too. Maybe Georgia too. Maybe we kick out a Washington, right? Excuse me, Michigan too, not Georgia too. Maybe we kick out a Washington, right? You're not really sure who needs to go aside from maybe Alabama needs to stay. You're just going, hey, we de we deserve that opportunity to be in the 14 playoff. I got a hard time wrapping my head around that one, but that might be how you feel if you are friendly to the dogs. Now, if you go and you stomp out Florida State, and let's say the national champion this year is not one that convincingly beats its opponent in the play uh, in the semifinal and then the national championship game, you probably might look at Georgia as an AP voter or coaches poll voter or any one of the other NCAA designated selectors, and you might make Georgia number one. The same thing is true of Florida State, though I think Florida State would have a very, very good case for a national championship share. If Florida State is able to knock off Georgia, even if Georgia doesn't want to be there, right, which is something they like to say when they're not playing for in the playoff, right? They don't really show up. But they beat them with a Tate Rodemaker or a Keon Coleman, right? And knowing what Florida State had accomplished all this year, I have no problem seeing Florida State being ranked number one in the Associated Press poll, the coaches poll, or any other NCAA selector because that would be what is owed to them. They won a Power 5 conference championship, and they finished the season 12-0, 13-0 going into the bowl season. Normally, that is not just a shoe-in to a 14 playoff. That's the team that wins the national championship. Now, had that been the case, even in the BCS era, we're going to have one of these three 13-0 programs not in a national championship game, whether it be Washington, Michigan, or Florida State. But I live in a place where I would like to see Florida State have that opportunity as an undefeated team. Now, if you go stop out Georgia, I don't think it's going to matter who wins the college football playoff national championship. I think Florida State is going to end up ranked number one in somebody's poll because they think that it's what's right. And that's what's interesting and different about our sport is people that vote in polls or make rankings like myself have influence over what the history books will say. 2004, Auburn goes 12-0, and 0, right? 
they win a share of the national championship, but nobody thinks of that team as a national champion. And we see co-national championships a lot uh, throughout the history of the sport. What I find interesting is that in this year that we're having the last four-team playoff, precisely because we knew that this quarter thing could happen and that we might leave out somebody that needed to be in five power, five conferences, four spots, which was always stupid, but that's what they decided to do, that we could still have a co-national champion at a time when we ain't supposed to have no co-national champion. And I like chaos because chaos is fun to talk about and anarchy is fun to talk about. But it would be a great finger in the eye for Florida State to the college football playoff and really those that are root for those four teams in it to go and beat Georgia and dare anybody to say that they did not win the national championship in 2023. All right, number two on this list of non-CFP bowl games I can't wait to see, 11-1 and Ohio State versus 10-2 and Missouri in the Cotton Bowl. I am terrifically intrigued by this game as well as the 10 and 2 Ole Miss versus 10 and 2 Penn State in the Peach Bowl. And I'm kind of grouping those together because it's basically the same thing for me. You get what I'm saying? I believe that we are not in a power five anymore. I believe that come 2024, it's power two. We got two super conferences. We have a loaded Big Ten and we have a loaded SEC. And these teams represent the best of the rest, right? We got an Ohio State that has one loss to the number one ranked team in the country and many people's pick to win the national championship in Michigan. And we got Missouri, whose only losses are to, well, really great football teams, one of them being Georgia, who they pushed, right? I think that if you're Missouri and you got a guy like Eli Drinkwitz who likes to talk his talk and likes to tell everybody what they're doing in Columbia, Missouri, because we really don't really think about Missouri that way that they're a really great football team. And one way for you to convince the nation that you are a really great football team is by beating one of the best known and best competitive programs in all its history, Ohio State. Beat them in a Cotton Bowl, right? This is also going to be an Ohio State that's going to be going with a new starting quarterback, whether it's Devin Brown or Lincoln Keenholz. And they're going to probably play this one without Marvin Harrison Jr. We'll see. We'll see, right? Because he's still undecided on even declaring for the NFL draft, which I find... Wild, but I'm going to do what you do. If the dude is slated to be a top 10 pick, five, top five pick, I just assume that he's going to go until he tells me otherwise. That said, they got dudes for which it should be an outstanding football game. However, I'm really curious as to how we're going to watch this. Because between Ohio State and Missouri and Ole Miss and Penn State, we're really going to draw some conclusions about what the SEC or what the Big Ten is about in 2023. And what it could be about in 2024. Like if you're Ole Miss and you're looking at Penn State, you're going, our losses are Georgia and Alabama. Your losses are Penn State, or excuse me, Penn State, are Michigan and Ohio State. That's the game, right? In the Peach Bowl, because as much as I think that Oklahoma should have had one of these spots, I'm not going to turn down nothing but this turtleneck to get to watch any one of these four teams play against each other because we know the players. We know what's at stake. We also know that they've had some tremendous change, right? We saw both coordinators are gone from Penn State, right? One got relieved of his duties, bringing Andy Kotelnicki from Kansas, who I think is going to be an outstanding hire for them and great job. And you're going to have to find a new defensive coordinator with Manny Diaz becoming the new head coach at Duke. And again, Ole Miss, you're going to really put Lane Kiffin on front street by going, is this team really good enough to compete for an SEC title? And if they are, are they just that much better than Penn State? And is Penn State just as bad as people tend to think they are? 
I think they're basically on par. I think that's a pick them. And I'm very excited about it because it's more or less neutral, right? Pennsylvania versus Mississippi in the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. And then Ohio State, Missouri is just a clash of styles for me. And as far as styles being those cultures, right? Ohio State's culture is not like Missouri's culture. The SEC's culture is not like the Big Ten's culture. Very excited to see what happens in both of those. Number four on the list for me, Oklahoma State. Nine and four versus seven and five Texas A&M in the Texas Bowl. Now, on the front end, let me just acknowledge my regional BS on this one because I'm so excited about this because this is the Big 12 that I was raised about. I was raised watching Oklahoma State and Texas A&M play football. I also am an Oklahoma fan, which you know means I feel some kind of way about Oklahoma State, but I tend to root for Oklahoma teams when they play against other teams outside of the state. So you know Oklahoma State being that team, and then A&M who is just a wild story that continues to get wilder and more fun because now they don't have no Jimbo Fisher. Bobby Petrino is now the offensive coordinator at Arkansas. We have no idea who's going to be the starting quarterback, and there's just this attrition going on at AM as Mike Elko has continued to try to build this thing into something that we all respect, and I think a great way of getting started on that is hiring Colin Klein to be your offensive coordinator. But I really want to see Oklahoma State Put its stamp on this game because they are representing what we expect to be the rest of the Big 12, right? Uh, right now, I think you would be within your rights to call Oklahoma State one of the four best Big 12 teams in 2024, if not the best Big, team, uh, Big 12 team in 2024, depending on how you feel about Utah or Arizona, right? And then with AM, none of us really ride with AM outside of folks that claim them as their team. For one reason or another, they get on people's nerves. We have many reasons as to why, right? But for a program that believes that it should be competing for national championships, Oklahoma State is the kind of team you should stomp out. If you really believe that you should be operating like one of the best teams in the SEC and best teams in the country, this team should not present a challenge to you, right? This is a team that got stomped out by Texas, a team you're going to be directly compared to forever and ever, and you can't duck playing them next year. And that's the other reason why I'm really excited about this is AM probably would not schedule Oklahoma State, but AM didn't even schedule Texas. So if you want us to actually come to you with the level of respect that you demand, this is the game for you to do that in. And then the last game that I want to talk about is number uh is Oklahoma, right? 10 and 2, and Arizona 9 and 3 in the Alamo Bowl. I am not excited about the Sooners being a 10-win team playing the Alamo Bowl. That said, Washington, Texas played in this game, and they're basically, in, they're not basically, they're in the playoff now. This game has, generally speaking, been a really great one. At Oklahoma playing Oregon in it a couple years ago. The last game that we actually got to see Bob Stoops on the sideline for, which was really fun, by the way, before Brent Venables took over permanently. But I think this is also a referendum on Oklahoma and the Big 12 as much as it is on what Arizona might be in the Big 12, too, coming what it's going to be in 2024. Oklahoma gets to say it's the only team to beat Texas. Texas playing the college football playoff. Texas won the Big 12 championship. Arizona really came out of nowhere. I mean, Randy Orton style, grabbing you by the neck, laying out in an RKO out of nowhere. I heard Jim Ross yelling in my ear. You know what I'm saying? JR was right there telling me about Arizona because the way that they were able to get on with folks in a loaded Pac-12 was inspiring. And they did it without a dude like Jaden DeLara leading the charge. Noah Fafiti came out of nowhere to put up 
absolute numbers, like stopping out of Washington State, right? Given uh, Washington, one of the teams that we think is best, had the best season they've had since 1991, gave them the what for and the what about. Everybody they played felt the pressure of what Arizona is capable of, and they're this close to being a 10-win team. I think with Jackson Arnold at quarterback, with Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley calling the plays, you get Danny Stutzman returning, right? He announced his return on Monday to Oklahoma. This one has all the makings of being really, really fun and really, really good, not just because I'm an Oklahoma fan. That said, I am an Oklahoma fan, and I would like to see the new SEC Oklahoma announce itself with a win over a new Big 12 Arizona. Those are my top five best non-college football playoff bowl, ga- uh, not yet, bowl games. Let me know what yours are on the socials, and I'll be curious to see what you say. Now, I want to go from that to a more newsier topic, which is Coach Prime and Colorado. So I had another sit-down with another group of folks where we got to rap with Coach Prime on Monday about what his program is doing and how it is getting it done. This is since his documentary series just came out with its second season, Coach Prime, and that's been a really great recruiting tool, I'm sure, for them. Whereas I've even heard from other players and and other uh, staff members that uh, like a 15 minute montage of what that show is about is really opening the eyes of parents and recruits on what the capabilities are for them if they go to a place like Colorado. You also got to see that he is taking that offensive line unit extremely seriously, right? He got a commitment from five-star offensive tackle Jordan Seaton, and he's getting even more out of the portal. One of the things that I was made to understand is Last year, they were trying to just basically get offensive linemen into Colorado, figure out what they had, and try to go out there and win football games. It worked through the first third of the season. It didn't work through the second third of the season. Now, the strategy has been we need to go get guys that have day two NFL draft rates or better who are power five starters, and we need them to tell me straight up that they're going to keep two upright and nobody's going to touch them because if you can do that, You really do turn Colorado into the kind of program that much more resembles the Jackson State that Coach Prime had in his last couple of years there. And quiet as it's kept, they went four and three in that spring season, and then they got on the good foot. That was their first year. This is his first year. He's probably going to figure out some things that he did wrong and change those things going into 2024. The skill positions are going to be okay. They're probably looking at a couple of other corners that they want to get into the fold because getting Travis Hunter some blow and being able to put out number one corners out there is a very big deal. Also means a guy like Cormani McClain is absolutely going to have to earn it in 2024, not unlike he had to earn it in 2023. I think that his optimism for what he expects to land in the portal is really telling, right? It's also a guy that's got like an 85% hit rate. Uh, once he gets in homes, he closes. It's just about getting that player in front of him. And once they get in front of him, they decide they want to be Colorado Buffaloes. And whatever that means to you, that's what it means to you. Now, they went offensive in uh, last week. They're going defensive in their focus this week. They got a huge recruiting weekend that's going to come up. And they've got a number of fellas that are going to be added to the staff that you're going to want to know about. And I'm certainly excited for what Colorado may actually get done before Christmas with a lot of that beginning, even uh, on the skill position side later this week, as you're watching this episode on Thursday, last thing that I would note about coach prime in Colorado is it is still a tremendous story. They are still really turning over Boulder, bringing in over a hundred million to the economy over there. 
raising the stature of the university as much as you can at that uh, from an athletic standpoint. And he is comfortable there. You know, the, he is having a good time. He's not looking to go anywhere else. Everything that he wants to do, he can do at Colorado. And he's been very clear and very on brand about that. So as I get to talk with Coach Prime more, we'll share what I can learn right here on the number one college football show. But again, I'm bullish on what they can do. I'm not going to say that they're going to go win the Big 12 championship. But again, I think that in the portal, that's where he does most of his work. And I can't wait to see what it looks like going into January. And then once again, what it looks like after the spring football season is done. And we get to see where guys are going in that May window and what his roster may or may not look like come August when they start Big 12 play. All right, let's go from that to the best games of 2023 which is a list and one that i really did have a hard time with and i needed some help with producer tyler to try to figure out what it is i like here so we're gonna go number five and we're gonna move up to one so let's get started with number five ohio state 17 to 14 win against notre dame what i'm calling down a man because stakes in this one were tremendous right we at the time thought that one of these two teams going to be in the college football playoff and had every opportunity to do it had they kept winning football games because this one was so so huge for them. Ohio State got the win against Notre Dame last season. They got to go to South Bend this season, and Notre Dame is feeling themselves because they got a great quarterback. They got a great run game. They know what their identity is going to be offensively and expect to be better defensively, and that's what it was. It was a defensive battle for most of the way. Travion Henderson had a home run that he took all the way to the house that proved to be the separator for Ohio State in this game, but not until late because we got down to three seconds left to play. It's third and goal. Ohio State has the rock. They are down 14 to 10, and we saw a number of errors. The first was Notre Dame sent out 10 men. Okay, that's one. But then Ryan Day, not seeing that they sent out 10 men and just running the play, Subbed out Travion Henderson for Chip Tratum. Chip Tratum comes in. Notre Dame does not send out an 11th man. And they run into the end zone to go get the go-ahead score and the win. It is still a play that Marcus Freeman is trying to live down, that he will never live down. There are all sorts of ways that we Monday morning quarterback this thing, like send somebody onto the field, take the penalty if you don't have the timeout. All these different ways that you could have gone about this differently. But you can't, right? And that's one of the reasons this game was so exciting is the stakes were that high and people were that tight. And yet and still, Ohio State came out on top. They rode that into what became one of the great Ohio State-Michigan games of recent memory. That was a top five matchup, two 11-0 programs. That doesn't happen if they don't beat Notre Dame in South Bend. Tremendous win for them and a tremendous game to watch. I was very, very, very fulfilled watching that game. Even as I had, you know, skin in the game on both sides, uh, my, my producer Tyler, Notre Dame alumnus, I felt for him, if nothing else. Number four, Alabama's win against, uh, excuse me, at number four, Alabama's win against Auburn. What I'm calling, don't fear the Reaper. You 80s babies no blue oyster cult for the kiddos. Just go look it up. Uh, I'm saying that because it's the grave digger play. This game should not have been as tight as it was because Auburn ain't nobody. That ain't nobody. It's a six and 16. They pushed Georgia though, which is them basically saying, oh, we'll get up for Georgia and Alabama. Maybe we'll lay down for New Mexico state and get beat by three touchdowns. But this game was phenomenal. I mean, we got it down to fourth and 31. 
There's 43 seconds left on the clock, and Alabama's down 24-20 with The Rock. Jalen Milrow gets to drop back. He's looking, looking, looking. He finds Isaiah Bond in the corner of the end zone for what would be the go-ahead score and the play that won them the game. Auburn chose to rush two instead of rushing three or four or even six, seven, eight to go after Jalen Milrow. Let him sit back there, bounce his feet, and do what he does well, which is throw the ball deep downfield, not making him throw an intermediate pass at all. They called that play Gravedigger. I think that's both fitting and apt because if it works, you dug yourself out of the grave. If it doesn't work, you got put in the grave by that play. Either way, outstanding game. Got them into a really great position to win the SEC championship the next week. They're coming in on a high. They know they can win this sort of a tight game. They have to do that again against Alabama. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But number two, or number three on this list, excuse me, Washington's week seven win against Oregon, 36 to 33. I'm calling that one Lanning's last stand because as much as that game was exciting on the football field for all of its time, like all 60 minutes, it really came down to Dan Lanning's decision to go for it on fourth down they get stopped and they give the ball back to michael Penix jr and that's all he wanted that's all he wanted he said cool i got rome udunze you don't and that's what we're gonna do so down 33 29 with just over two minutes left to play Penix has the ball and he decides hey wherever rome is that's where i'm going with the football and that proved to be the correct decision as they were able to summon a victory against a hated rival to remain undefeated and give themselves an opportunity to not just make the Pac-12 championship game, but to make the college football playoff for the first time since 2016 when Jake Browning was quarterback in Washington, having a hell of a season with the Cincinnati Bengals in Joe Burrow's stead. But Michael Penix Jr. also helps propel himself even further into the Heisman Trophy candidate conversation, finishes number two on the year, doubles up Oregon in the Pac-12 championship, basically proving to everybody this is not a fluke. I had so much fun with that game. I Again, I have friends on both sides of that rivalry. One of the best games that I think anybody got to see all year and was tremendously emotional for Washington fans who are now getting to see the absolute diamond that they have in Kalen DeBoer after maybe they didn't feel so great about him in his first season. Now they're like, please don't ever leave us. Number two on the list for me, Oklahoma's win against Texas. The Battle of Gabriel. Come and take it. That's what I'm calling that one. If you know anything about Texas history and the Battle of Gonzalez, you know my illusion there. If you don't, Google it. Now, I think this one is great because this one could have gone Texas way any way you want it. Like they had a lead with just over a minute left to play. They're up 30 to 27 on a Burt Auburn field goal. They'd already blocked a punt in the end zone to get the, the score back. It felt like Oklahoma just wasn't going to have it for this after getting beat down 49 to zero without Dylan Gabriel on the field. And I say that because Gabriel coming into the game down three with the rock changed Oklahoma's opportunity. Okay. You're not going to do this with Davis Bevel. You're not going to do this running wildcat with Braden Willis. You needed a guy that was as capable and as confident running that high powered, super fast offense to a T. He finished with 285 yards passing 113 yards on the ground had a whole bunch of them in that last drive to get Oklahoma into a winning position as a matter of fact they're looking at the goal line I'm going please play for three play for three play for three don't throw this oh 
there's Nick Anderson in the back of the end zone, standing there like he'd been standing there the whole time to catch that pass, cementing what was an emotional win for Oklahoma fans, and really a win that stands above many others because Texas went the rest of the way undefeated and won the Big 12 championship and beat down an Oklahoma State team that that beat Oklahoma, frankly. And as much as we would have loved to have seen Oklahoma and Texas one last time in the Big 12 championship, this will have to do. And for me, after watching Oklahoma take the worst loss that I've ever seen Oklahoma take to Texas, 49-0, this was triumphant and fun. Uh, I really did gain more respect for Dylan Gabriel than anything else and really loved this for this group of players who deserved to win that game and played as if they deserved to win that game. Okay, number one on the list, Alabama's 27-24 to win against Georgia in the SEC championship game, a game I'm calling back to zero. Georgia is back to zero days without incident. This was tremendous on a number of levels. I got to see coaching chess match. I got to see going into halftime, Kirby Smart call a timeout. Force Nick Saban to think about what he's going to do. Nick Saban going in uh, out with the offense, calling timeout, going, okay, now we see how you're going to line up. What do we want to do here? Tommy Reese putting the ball in Jalen Milrow's hands, going, go win us the football game. Go give us a demanding lead or a commanding lead, excuse me. And then coming back in the second half and doing basically the same thing, telling Jalen Milrow and Isaiah Bond, go win us the football game, right? Knowing that you don't have a Jason McClellan available to you. Who is your number one tailback? Being able to stop a Georgia team that had won 29 straight and had not lost an SEC game in some time, right? A team that we had penciled in to the college football playoff and as the number one team because this Alabama team was not the one that we thought would dethrone what had been a juggernaut program in Georgia. Again, I've said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again. Alabama was in a rebuilding year. You've got two new coordinators. You've got a brand new coordinator in Tommy Reese and a somewhat new coordinator in Kevin Steele. You've got a dude calling plays for you, Nick Saban, that is younger than I am, and I'm 36 years old. You got a Jalen Milrow who was benched early in the year. You didn't know who your quarterback was going to be. You have to figure this out on the fly, and yet your defense continues to play lights out. You're getting timely play from Isaiah Bond and Jermaine Burton, and you summon an SEC championship at a time when not a whole hell of a lot of people thought that Alabama was capable of doing this in 2023. Phenomenal win for the Tide, and really for me, further supplanting what I know about Nick Saban. Greatest football coach I've ever seen. Greatest football coach to ever coach. I'll throw him up there with Belichick and Lombardi. What he's been able to do in our sport is just tremendous, especially given that he started coaching in 1971. He's not the guy to moan and complain about name, image, and likeness. He's not the guy to moan and complain about conferences. He's not the guy to moan and complain about conference championships. He's not the guy to moan and complain about what the game has become from an offensive or defensive standpoint through all the rule changes. He continues to win to win that is awesome and this game i think more than any other game that he has coached in his career really resonates with me given the context i love this game i love that it happened for saban i love that it happened for jalen milrow and i love that it happened for alabama fans even if i think that they're a little too spoiled with nick saban that said that's my number one game of the 2023 season these are my top five let me know what yours are on the tweets, on the YouTubes, on the TikToks, on the Instagram. We are everywhere you are. Okay, that's going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. We will be back on Tuesday with a brand new 
number one college football show talking about the transfer portal news that happens, the coaching news that happens, and a couple of other segments that we are very excited to share with you. All right, our number one college football show, the leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana puts the special in our special teams. We got social producer Devion Duncan making sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Chris Cheshire is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sidelines and the play snaps on my clap. We're back here on Tuesday. Until then, stay low. Keep those feet grinding. Deuces. <laughs>